Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. What's your favorite scary movie? McLovin? You can't handle the truth. That escalated quickly. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to this week's We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. It's all about Bill and Ted Face the Music on this week's show. It's been nearly 30 years since the last film in the series, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter re-team once again for the final instalment in this franchise. A lot of heart and soul has been put into the film by all accounts. We'll be reviewing it with Chris Wasser a little later on. Plus, we will be hearing from Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter about reprising their roles of Bill and Ted. Now, also on the show, we'll be going through some of the best and worst and underrated remakes ever made, and we'll have a roundup of all the big movie stories from the week as well. So lots to come on this week's We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Now, when we love movies, it is time to turn our attention to Bill and Ted Face the Music, the third instalment in this series. We'll be reviewing the film very shortly with Chris Wasser, but first, let us hear from the stars of the film, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. Here they are telling us on We Love Movies about reprising the roles of these iconic characters nearly 30 years on. I think both of us, you know, we'd made it clear that we were interested in doing it and we just went on about our lives and didn't really even expect to be in production, you know, up, almost right up until when we started. Uh, it took a lot, you know, over eight years to get the film made. I was really excited about the chance to work with Alex again and to reprise the role, especially with something so unique as playing reprising a role 30 years later. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. And so it was cool to have that experience. Here are Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves once again on We Love Movies, telling us what they as actors bring to the characters that makes them so lovable. What would Bill and Ted be like with the wonderful, amazing artists? Like what if Willem Dafoe and Daniel Day-Lewis played Bill and Ted? Now that's a reboot I would watch. I would watch that reboot. I don't think anyone knows what makes something infectious or stay in the culture. You know, Keanu and I like working together. There's a, a, an aspect of a physicality between us and sort of finishing each other's sentences. And, and I think that's fun, certainly fun for us to play. And hopefully that transfers to the audience. Hey, Death. If it isn't a wild stallions, have you come to sue me again? No, Death, not at all. We just need to talk to you, Death. Talk to the head. And finally, here is Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves once again, telling us about their favourite lines in the film and a very special cameo in Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh gosh, a favourite line. It was funny when Bill and Ted had English accents for a second. <laughs> Just so chuffed. What was your line out of that one scene? I thought Dave, I thought Dave Grohl was coming back this week. I told you. <laughs> told you he was coming back this week. Yeah, Dave Grohl uh, makes an, uh, an appearance. It was fun for us to actually say, Dave Grohl! The words Dave Grohl are funny, and they're particularly funny in the mouths of Bill and Ted. And we were cracking ourselves up, literally just saying, Dave Grohl! <laughs> That's one of the favorite lines, too, is when they go to couples therapy. When, when Ted says to uh, Bill, but isn't that the problem? And then Bill says... Yeah, but it's also the solution. <laughs> that might be my favorite, my favorite exchange. 
You were supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! And take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? <laughs> How'd you like our song? It's a little on the dark side, but you know, that's cool. Well, there is a little bit from Bill and Ted Face the Music. I mentioned earlier on, it's been nearly 30 years since the last film in the series, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So has it been worth the wait for this third movie? Well, to find out now, we're going to talk to our resident film critic, Chris Wasser. Chris, there's still an awful lot of love for Bill and Ted, and that really comes to the fore with the stars of the film, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, who have remained great friends over the years. And this is a project that they just didn't want to quickly dip into. They have spent their time working with the creators of the series to really get that um, story absolutely nailed down before they would really try and push forward. Because Alex Winter has said in previous interviews, they didn't really need to come back at all. So going into this one, Chris, have you been waiting for a third Bill and Ted movie? Do you even care about this series? And do you think really there's an appetite still for Bill and Ted? I think there there is an appetite still for Bill and Ted, but I, I don't believe that the fan base is as big as maybe some people think it is. And I mean, you know, that's, that's, and I'm not being harsh. I adore these characters. I love these films. I still have VHS copies of the original Bill and Ted's Excellent Journey and Bill and Ted's Bogus, uh, Bogus Journey, Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. As a fan, I should be getting those right. Um, but I think, you know, look, major studios actually turned down Chris Madison and Ed Solomon. They're the creators of these characters. They've been screenwriters since day one. They turned down the lads in terms of financing a third film. Warner have decided to distribute this, but it was going back to Orion Pictures. It was going to be very much a small, low-key, independent production. That was, you know, the initial plan because the majors believe that these are cult films. You know, the first first film was made for, you know, a few million dollars. Uh, I say a few million dollars, but, you know, very low budget in terms of what other sci-fi comedies or even sci-fi films were made for at the time and even now. And it did make a healthy profit, but, you know, 40 million is not, you know, Star Wars Back to the Future money. So these were very much kind of, you know, there were small, it was in a niche fan base, I suppose. Um, so there is a demand there, but it's, 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 it's not huge, uh, I'll, I'll admit that, but you know, there are a, a fair few people like myself who, after you know, 29, 30 years, are quite glad to see these characters back because, Gordon, they really are irresistible. I was thinking, Chris, that this is the type of film that would probably fare quite well with all the restrictions that are going on because I don't know necessarily if you'd be rushing out to the cinema to see it, even though an awful lot of cinema chains will be hoping that people will do so to get that reprieve, but it seems like it's perfect fodder for watching at home. So well, having now seen the film, Chris, um, give us your thoughts on just the, the, the what you oh, guys have that again, Chris. Chris, it just seemed to me that uh, this third film, just from the offset, it looks like it's the perfect fodder to watch at home as opposed to maybe being rushing out to the cinema. But the story seems like they've managed to crack it and in, and it is definitely worthy of a watch. So um, before we get into the actual review, 
what is happening with the plot to Bill and Ted Face the Music? That is true, Gordon, actually. It is perfect fodder for, uh, for, for watching from home. And in America, you can either go to see it in some cinemas that are still open because the cinema situation in America is still quite dire, or you can watch a video on demand here. You can watch it on cinema, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be on streaming services a lot sooner than you know would be the case if, if, if we were living in the normal world again. Uh, but plot-wise, one of my favorite things about this film is the story because, you know, God knows they've had, you know, Madison and Solomon and and Dean Parsiot, the, uh, the director, even Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. The five of these guys have had long enough to work on this story. So uh, we are dealing with a middle-aged Bill and Ted. It's been 30 years since we last saw them. Uh, they now have families. They both have daughters who uh, very much take after themselves. They're still married to the princesses. Everything seems okay except for the fact that they're a little bit unhappy because they, well, they're quite unhappy because they haven't written the song that was prophesized. They haven't written the song to unite the world. And their families are kind of starting to give up on them a little bit. Um, you know, even Ted at one stage is like, dude, I'm quite tired. And I won't go into that impression, Gordon. But, you know, he's saying, dude, I'm tired. I think maybe we should give this up. And then one day they are visited from the future by Rufus's daughter from six or 700 years into the future. And she warns them that they haven't written the song and that they have 70, 70 or 77 minutes to write the song or else time and space will collapse. The universe will fall in on itself. Long story short, Gordon, the world is going to end unless Bill and Ted write the greatest song ever heard. So they travel into the future, try to steal it from themselves, all the while their daughters use another time travel machine to travel into the past to assemble a band for them to play the song. Now, I probably made it a little bit more complicated than it sounds, but it's not. It flows very, very well. And I also should add, that we also have another killer robot in there. His name is Dennis. He develops a conscience. That's all I'll say. Good old Dennis. So there's a lot going on in here, and it sounds like it moves swiftly along because they've got that adventure, well, that mission, which is just over, what, 70-odd minutes there, Chris. So it's sprightly enough. But the problem is, uh, is it, Chris, that maybe it's a bit too slight? There is a slightness to this, yes. And I do believe that had, you know, Dean and, and Madison and Ed Solomon, if they had another 25 million on top of the 25 that they had to work with, to add to, you know, uh, the, the sets, the spectacle, the CGI, uh, maybe it might have looked a little better. But there's something quite endearing about the lo-fi approach to this film. I mean, it is a legacy sequel, but it's not, you know, Blade Runner, all bells and whistles, this huge cinematic spectacle. It's, it's very much a film about friendship. And you don't need $100 million to make a film like that. So what we're relying on is the charm and the old school kind of goofiness and charisma of its leading men. And thankfully, that hasn't gone away. It's as though the lads just kind of clocked off one day on Bogus Journey and clocked in the next on Face the Music and absolutely nothing had changed. Reeves and Winter, they are as good friends in real life as they are on screen. They're wonderful together. They really are. And there's an awful lot of heart behind the material, behind the reasoning why they're doing this. You mentioned at the top that neither man needs to do this. The screenwriters have had great success in other territories. I mean, Ed Solomon had great success with the Men in Black films. Um, you know, the, the director of this picture gave his Galaxy Quest. Everyone's gone on to do great things. So it's that it's for the fun of it. It's for the hell of it. And I know sometimes there can be that thing that, you know, if you're watching a comedy and if the guys on screen are having an awful lot of fun, sometimes we'll, we end up having a little less fun than they are. It's equal this time. It's very much equal. And I think the story is quite strong. The characters are great. It's great to see uh, also, you know, a, a more diverse cast in terms of the fact that, you know, it was all about the boys first time around. But this time, Bill and Ted, 
They have young uh, women as daughters, and they are tremendous, brilliantly cast too. The wonderful Samara Weaving is in there. You've got Death Back, uh, played by William Sadler. There's an awful lot of fan service to get through in the first 10 or 15 minutes, but after that, it's just this very uh, funny, quite moving at times, uh, piece about basically two middle-aged guys who are told, hey, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and that's probably one of the most relatable sci-fi or you know dr- drama concepts there is out there. You just throw in some time travel. You throw in a lot of you know dude and rock and roll jokes and a few famous cameos, and you've got yourself a hit. So all in all, Chris, Bill and Ted face music sounds like a decent swan song to these characters. I like the fact that they did spend time working on this story so that if they were to have gotten a third entry, that thematically things would tie in very much with the age that Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter are at present. So I think, you know, fair dues to them on that. And it would have been nice for a bigger budget to try and maybe work on some of the special effects and maybe to take away some of the limitations that they had. But all in all, this seems like a very positive finale to the Bill and Ted series. So, Chris, what are your thoughts all in all and what are you giving it? out of 10. I think, I think it's a wonderful closer to the series and I also think you know I was talking to uh, uh, some some friends and colleagues about this film during the week and it's funny that they were confusing it with Wayne's World and I find that that actually happens quite a bit but I think the difference at Wayne's World is that you know it was almost it was literally a sketch it was a Saturday Night Live sketch that got a little bit out of hand and focused more on the kind of you know the stupid kind of rock and roll side, some crude jokes in there, some visual gags. It was kind of a, you know, a flash in the pan. With Bill and Ted, there's real heart there. There's real charm. There's real charisma. It's a film about two guys who love each other deeply. They would like rather be with each other than with anyone else, even though they have the princesses there. And that's what keeps this film going. So I thought it was very funny, quite moving in places. And oh yeah, that killer robot who chases after them, uh, Dennis, I loved him. So, you know, look, it's, it's, it's probably... I needed this film. I will finish on that. I needed this film. After, after the last six months, I thought it was it was a delight. So we'll go with, uh, I say we'll go with eight out of 10 this week, Gordon. Chris Wasser, thank you so much for your review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Eight out of 10 from our Chris, and he will be back a little later on as we're going to be delving into uh, the friendship of Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter and just looking at their career trajectories because for an awful lot of people, they would have thought that Alex Winter just slipped off the face of the earth after he had his run in Bill and Ted and a few other sort of minor supporting roles in uh, the late 90s. Uh, sorry, more more so the mid-90s, really. But he has been very, very busy, and we'll be getting into that a little later on with Chris Wasser. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Now we love movies, we are going to turn our attention to remakes because our man, Andy McCarroll, who is here every week with the movie news and some film features, he posted on Instagram that he enjoyed the remake of The Vanishing, which for me is up there as one of the worst remakes ever made. For those that can remember, it starred Kiefer Sutherland and Jeff Bridges and... I think it's fairly derided now, that remake, but no, not for our Andy. No, no, no. Andy thought it was absolutely great, and anyone that was willing to listen, he was letting them know on Instagram that they should check out The Vanishing. So I've set Andy a task this week to go through some some pointless remakes, some absolutely horrendous ones, and uh, some underrated remakes as well. But uh, Andy, we'll we'll get with the, The Vanishing first. 
I don't know how to get with it, but you certainly did. Andy, what were you thinking? I knew when I saw you popping up on social media that it wasn't going to be a good thing. You only do that to berate me about things that I've gotten wrong. And I don't agree. I think the Vanishing remake is absolutely fantastic. I do suffer from the fact that I saw that before the original. But I do think this is one of those films where it is just the kind of the movie hipster person will say, oh, yes, it's not as good as the original. It is pretty much exactly the same apart from the last five minutes. And to be honest, I think Jeff Bridges explaining the kind of the logic behind why he's doing what he's doing is done far better in this film. Oh, go on there, Randy. I can almost imagine you there sticking your nose up in the air and swooshing your cape there. But you won't have a bad word said against the vanishing, but I want you to say a few bad words. Uh, no, no F-bombs there, Randy, but uh, just get things off your chest in regard to some of the most awful remakes you think that have ever been made. Um, what have you got first? First out of the traps, because I did set you this challenge to go through some various remakes, but what are the pick of the litter for you when it comes to some of the worst for me the probably the the worst one is point break i absolutely love the original keanu reeves gary Busey, patrick swayze it's just bonkers crack like it is the most ridiculous film you'll ever see in your life but it is just you know as as the guys in half say it's just an adrenaline pounding load of fun and the remake absolutely misses the entire point of that it's the most serious po-faced boring charisma vacuum of a film like it was one of those that every time it's mentioned i forget that i've seen it it is so bad it takes every bit of charm and personality out of the film and if you haven't seen it i know people go oh point break remake how bad can that be trust me it's worse than you think and you should just say also in your list you had a nightmare on elm street which is a shocking remake i think for an awful lot of people they've nearly forgotten about it now at this stage which is a great thing uh, halloween as well. I presume that's the Rob Zombie one because you love the David Gordon Green version. Uh, the Wicker Man, the Nicolas Cage. There's nothing good to say about that film. There really isn't. There's. It is just horrendous on every, every level. I don't know what the director, Neil Aboot, was even thinking remaking that film because he's quite a credible um, theatre actor. Just goes to show that he should really stay on the stage. And um, The Lion King, oh, The Lion King was shocking. It really it wasn't great at all, was it? But we should also point out as well, you consider this a bit of an embarrassment. Robocop. I know when I saw this, this is the, the Joel Kinnaman version, which Gary Oldman and Samuel L. Jackson popped up in for the paycheck. I didn't, I didn't think it was like an embarrassment. I didn't think it was awful, but I just went, what was the point? Like, I just, I really, really just didn't see the point. But to get it off your chest, Andy, about what you thought of Robocop. That's exactly how I felt. And what was really frustrating is you had a fantastic cast. You had, you know, you had Michael Keaton, you had Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Joel Kinnaman. You had great directors behind it. It looked well, but they just sanitized. They took, you know, making a PG, uh, you know, a Robocop film needs to be this, you know, violent B-movie sort of thing with, you know, those kind of the hidden depths about things like corporations. And especially at the time that was made, you know, 2014, that's a time where you could have really gone all off with the uh, with the satirical stuff and it didn't it was just a kind of straightforward you know it felt very much like you know one of the, the straight to video robocop sequels yes. and that's what was so frustrating there is a good film in there if they just had of you know let the leash off them i think that could have been you know a, a nice companion piece rather than like you said it's just a meh Andy, now we're going to move on to remakes that surpass the original because for an awful lot of people, this might be considered quite a short list. But for you, what is the numero uno? The main one for me is Scarface. Um, I'd watched the, the original, I know it was 1932. 
not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, but I think this kind of done the opposite of what RoboCop done. It went through and took all the good elements from that film and enhanced on them, as opposed to what RoboCop done, which took all the good elements, moved it and just tried to like, this would have been the equivalent of just remaking a film with a guy with a scar on his face and thinking that was the point of it. Al Pacino is an absolute tour de force in that film. I have a kind of love-hate relationship with this film because I just remember every single episode of Cribs would have a rapper which, you know, oh, yeah. I bought the gun from Scarface or I bought the, the shutters from Scarface and they just think, you know, it's, it's like people who watch Wall Street and think, oh, the point of this film is Gordon Gecko really knows what he wants and he's a go-getter and I need to be more motivated. Like, no, that's not the point, is that he is a disaster of a human being and that kind of 80s excess in that as well. It is absolutely just a phenomenal film. If you take all the, you know, the stuff that's come after it and kind of move that to one side, again, another film that's looking like it's being remade as well shortly. So hopefully this will fall into our, our good category and not back into our, you know, Point Break and, and Robocop one. Andy, we should also just point out other films in your list because just oh, time is always up against us on Wheel of Movies. Ocean's Eleven, A Star is Born, that's the recent one, Lady Gaga. There's been about... Three remakes of this film, um, I think, all in all. Um, the Departed, which, for those who will remember, was um, originally uh, Infernal Affairs, wasn't that it? And it was, it was a trilogy based on that. And we're now going to segue into underrated remakes. You have in your list the Italian job. I don't know what you're thinking adding that in. That With Mark Wahlberg, oh God, I would have consigned that to the awful list. But you have it in underrated. Cape Fear, Cracker. So um, give us... Uh, and you've also got the vanishing there as well, God, and the Evil Dead one. And um, tell us why you think this is underrated. Two big ones for me is the the recent Evil. Well, I say recent, just seven years ago now at this point. The Evil Dead remake that Fetty Alves done. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. That really captured the spirit of the original. It was just. A, a near perfect horror film and in an era where you know horror films you know you're a fan of the genre like myself it's so hard to come by a really good one it had all the scares it had all the you know the kind of the, the b-movie sensibilities it took a lot of the humor out of it as well but it really ramped up the tension there's some really really great scares if you haven't seen the remake and you're a fan of horror it's really good and it, it was very well reviewed it just didn't make an awful lot of money and the buzz around it didn't warrant a sequel i just think the evil dead series as we saw with you know the ash tv show as well it doesn't have that you know rabid huge fan base that'll just get it back into making a, a huge blockbuster but that for me very underrated another one for me that i absolutely love is the the pierce brosnan remake of the thomas crown affair mm-hmm. originally the steve mcqueen and, and faye dunaway one but this for me, Thomas Crown Affair, is the best Bond film that Pierce Brosnan ever made. He has just charisma for days in this. The relationship with him and Rene Russo, they just, you know, nearly set fire to the screen. And it just did the heists are so well done. The music is brilliant. This for me is just that's his best Bond performance. He just has that movie star swagger to him that I don't think he, he's had kind of since he's had a, a fairly solid career. But watching this, you're just like, this guy is, you know, he's Brad Pitt, he's Tom Cruise, he is an A-lister. And sadly, you know, the, the rumored sequel to that never came to fruition. And I would have loved to have seen what more they could have done with that. And Andy, we're going to finish up with some pointless remakes. I um recently watched again Tim Burton's version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with my son because he hadn't seen it and he was keen to watch another version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory after he watched the Willy Wonka version with um, 
Gene Wilder. And I did not like the Tim Burton one when I first saw it, when it came out in cinemas. And I thought, you know what? Let's watch it again. Fresh eyes. Maybe I'll think differently. No, I, I, my, my sentiment is still the same. It is rubbish. It is awful. It's too grim. It, there's, it just doesn't... Well, grim maybe a bit over the top. But I just... There, it does not work. It has no charm. There is a darkness to it which I don't think works at all. I just thought it was shocking. Um, for you, Andy, what do you consider some of the most pointless remakes ever made? Yeah, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one for me is just... It, it was kind of pitched as, oh, this is going to be the proper adaptation of Roald Dahl's book. It wasn't. It was creepy. It was like kind of and it, and no coincidence that Michael Jackson was going to be cast. And it just looked unsettling and it had none of the charm or the kind of, you know, the nod and the wink that Gene Wilder had. For me, the most pointless one of all time is Psycho. The yes. colour shot for shot remake with Vince Vaughn and Hesh and, and Viggo Morris. A great cast, Gus Van Zandt, great director. But at some point, it's just, you know, and especially, you know, remember Gremlins 2, where they have that joke where he's like, oh, we're going to remake all the old classics and just put them in colour because no one watches black and white. This just felt like that, like, like it was a skit that at some point someone just go, who is this for? Like, who hasn't watched the original Psycho because it's in black and white and will now all of a sudden go, well, I'll go and see it now because it's in colour. The answer, thankfully, was was nobody, as we can see as soon as they, you know, things with like Disney when they got the foot in the door with the, you know, the live action remakes, the Lion King, once that makes money, oh, great, everything's going to be this now. So thankfully that didn't start a trend, but it's just... It's kind of impressive in a way to make a film shot for shot, scene for scene, exactly the same, and be somehow ten times worse than the, the one you're part, than the one that you're copying. It's just mind-boggling that you're able to to do that, but it's just bad. Like I can't put a finger on why it is. It's just charmless. It's there's no tension. There's no excitement to what that is in the film. Andy, just to give a shout out to some of the. Pointless remakes that we won't get time to um, really delve into. But another one from Tim Burton, Planet of the Apes with Mark Wahlberg. That was awful. Carrie, Total Recall with uh, Colin Farrell. When he made Total Recall, he'd been on a really good run since In Bruges. And it was like Snakes and Ladders, that film, because he'd been going up and up and up and up. And then Total Recall hit, which was no one was asking for it. And it went right back down. Thankfully, he's back on track again. And then, Andy, you have um, Wrath of Khan, which I presume is the Jar Jar Abrams um, Star Trek Into Darkness which like what were they thinking bringing back Khan yeah you've taken what's you know arguably the most you know beloved film in that series and then given a kind of half-baked version back to you know like Star Trek fans you know this, this rabid fan base and if you give them something like that they're gonna call you on it it's just like you're watching this kind of it's it's like watching the film you kind of half remember seeing halfway through the film you're like oh no I, I already know how this ends and then you're oh what was the point in that like I didn't hate the film but it was just it, it added nothing to the experience it's like when you see a trailer and the trailer gives away you know the entire film you're like well what's the point in watching it now I've already basically seen the thing you're just going to fill it in the, the boring bits in the middle for me now well Andy I think old, uh, Jar Jar Abrams he's very gotten found out of late especially what he did with uh, Star Wars Episode 9 and thank you so much for that that is Andy McCarroll going through uh, some interesting remakes to say the least he'll be back in part two of We Love Movies as we will be going through the movie news uh, this week We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden Spin 
Welcome back to part two of We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Good to have you along. Chris Wasser returns once again as we're now going to delve into the careers of Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves because they star in Bill and Ted Face the Music this weekend. And if you were listening to our, re- re- our review back in part one of the show, I did say that a lot of people think the likes of Alex Winter's career just kind of went off the, the radar very much so in the mid-90s when all things had sort of died down with Bill and Ted. But he has been a very busy man, and we're going to get into that very shortly. But first, Chris, tell me about the friendship between Keanu Reeves, because for anyone that has heard them doing interviews or seen any of the interviews, they get on so well. And that is a genuine friendship that was forged way back at the audition for the first Bill and Ted movie. Tell us more. It was where they got the bromance going. And it was quite unusual that, you know, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, they showed up separately and instantly clicked because one of them was actually, one of them showed up to the audition on a motorcycle. And whether it was Bill or Ted, and there is that story also that, you know, both lads were auditioning for each other's roles, but I'm not really sure if that would have made much of a difference. I mean, it's Bill and Ted, they're kind of, you know, uh, interchangeable characters. But one of them showed up on a motorcycle and the other thought, hey, I ride a motorcycle too. And they started chatting bikes. And then one of them realized that the other played bass guitar. Of course, Keanu Reeves played bass famously in a not so great band called Dogstar, released a couple of albums around the late 80s, early 90s. And they just clicked. They clicked over cars. They clicked over cinema. They clicked over music. And little did they know that, you know, Chris Madison, Ed Solomon, they're looking at these guys in the background, in the back of the room and thinking, there's our Bill and Ted. We're going to actually build the film around these guys because the early concept for the film was very close to a sort of uh, fast times at Richmond High to Jeff Spicoli kind of characters who ride around their van, you know, going from gig to gig. And then one day the van, for reasons unknown and we'll never be able to wrap our heads around, the van turns out to be a time machine. But it was the Solomon and Madison, they realized, well, that's a bit too much like Back to the Future. So they changed it to a phone box. Now, Little did they know that they, they weren't Doctor Who fans at all, so they didn't realize that the TARDIS was already out there. But basically what I'm trying to say is that the, the creators saw these two guys, saw that they were kind of cool looking, they were a little bit more good looking than they expected, and they dressed well. Let's build a film around these guys. And it's a good thing they did, because then what we were seeing then was a natural friendship on screen. And you can't, you can't fake the kind of chemistry that these guys have. I mean, there's been stories over the years you know, there's been this slight misconception because Keanu Reeves is more to the forefront and he's, you know, he, he is without a doubt more famous than Alex Winter and we've seen more of his films. There is this misconception though that, you know, Keanu Reeves is sort of the Harrison Ford to Alex Winter's Mark Hamill, but that's not true. As I say, you can't fake the chemistry. These guys are great friends and that's why it's such a great thing to see them back on screen together again. Now, Chris, we're going to look at the, tra- the career trajectory now of Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Alex Winter has been a quite a busy actor, but a lot of people felt like, might feel, that, um, what's he done with himself? Where where has he been? But he has been very busy, Chris. Tell us more about what he's been doing. He has been busy behind the camera, and he he comes from from quite a brilliant film background as well, in that, you know, he, he studied filmmaking in New York University in the mid to late 80s. And when he graduated, he graduated with two guys, uh, Tim Burns and Tim Stern, and Tom Stern. And these three guys started making short films together. They started making music videos. And that would actually come in handy later because, you know, Alex Winter at one stage, he was making music videos for some very famous acts. At one stage, you know, making some early music uh, clips and videos for Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, you know, this guy went from university then, thought, look, I might give acting a try. 
and he did that. And he, you know, got some great roles on Broadway and off of Broadway, a lot of, basically a lot of theater work. And started, you know, picking up some small roles in films, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, at the Lost Boys. Actually, he was in the Lost Boys at one stage. And then the audition uh, came about for Bill and Ted. So once, you know, the Bill and Ted films were over, Keanu Reeves went one direction. But Alex Venter, I think it was basically that he decided, you know what, I, I kind of want to give the, you know, behind the camera stuff a go again. And that's exactly what he did. So at one stage... He was being offered a multi-million dollar deal with Warner to make, you know, uh, a comedy with the two, with, you know, Tom and Tim, as I mentioned, who he went to university with. And they did that. The result was Freaked, which uh, didn't do quite well at the time. But, you know, it has since become like a midnight screening favorite, a cult favorite. Um, and then afterwards, Alex Winter moved into documentary filmmaking. And this is where he found his real you know, this is, this is where his talents lie. And he's given us some, some great films over the years from um, some great documentaries and some very well-received award-winning documentaries like uh, Downloaded, which was a, a documentary about Napster. And this year alone, he has two films coming out, one called Showbiz Kids, which uh, sounds like a fascinating documentary about child actors and taking a look at, you know, what happens when, you know, Hollywood, uh, when a young child Hollywood performer makes it big, what, how that affects their, their teen years, their adult years. And the other one, which sounds even better, is Zappa, which is, of course, a, a documentary about the life and career of Frank Zappa, uh, with Alex Winter utilizing and whittling down hours upon hours of, of footage of, of, of the man himself. So he, long story short, Gordon, he's had quite a prolific and busy career in the world of documentary making, which is why, along with Reeves and along with the other lads, he's basically said, we're not doing another Bill and Ted for the money. We're doing it because we want to do it. And Chris, finally, Keanu Reeves, we know he's been going through a great run over the last few years, but he did hit a bit of a slump. There was a few years there now, uh, post-Matrix, where things weren't going great for him. But Speed, if we, if we go back to a real gear change for him in his career, Speed was that massive film that just completely changed up his career. Um, talk to me about now about Keanu Reeves and uh, his career to date, and especially the renaissance that he has had with the likes of John Wick. Of late, uh, he's been quite lucky. So what happened to Keanu Reeves at, after Bill and Ted was released was that he started, you know, he started uh, acquiring the sort of roles which you think would fit uh, a stronger, you know, a, a stronger dramatic actor than him. Because in Bill and Ted, we, we weren't seeing a guy who would, you know, you would think would go on to work with Francis Ford Coppola, would go on to work with Kenneth Branagh. Um, you know, the, the, the roles he was getting in, in Much Ado About Nothing in, in, in Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula, it was almost as though casting agents and studios, they took a little bit of faith in this guy's, you know, low wattage, uh, charm and charisma and the fact that he is a very beautiful man and thought, let's do something with this. Let's leave him to himself. Because I've always thought Keanu Reeves, he's, he seems like a wonderful talent. He seems like a lovely, lovely man, uh, incredibly intelligent, very articulate, with a deep love and knowledge of cinema and martial arts and, of course, motorcycles and bass players. But there's something about his style that is completely unique to him. You know, he's not quite Nicolas Cage, nowhere near as, as, as bonkers in, in, in his performances. And he's not, you know, maybe he's not like Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise. He's got his own thing going on. And studios took a chance on him. And for a while there in the early 90s, um, he was the go-to guy for, you know, a, a strong supporting player for the films that I mentioned. It was probably 1995's uh, Speed. 
that just changed everything. You know, Keanu Reeves many went supernova. Uh, a few years later, then we had the Matrix. Uh, he was very much hot property. It's so weird though that in the late nineties and going in, you know, past two thousand and ten. His kind of his style and his star kind of went a bit out of favor and indeed out of flavor as well because we started seeing him taking on smaller roles. Uh, you know, there was Forty Seven Roland, there was Constantine, all of these kind of you know, one blockbuster disaster, one flop after the other. And it's been encouraging. Although I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of the John Wick films. I think they they very much are style over substance. I think the story was running on fumes even with the first picture, and I'm exhausted. Three films in, we still have two more to go. Very, very well choreographed, fabulously choreographed and directed fight sequences. I give them that, and Keanu Reeves is very good in them. But it's been great to see. It's, it's, it's been so odd that those films have taken off the way they have. But it's been great to see himself have a career renaissance. You know, he's everywhere at the minute. He's showing up inside, inside supporting roles in Netflix comedies and the SpongeBob SquarePants film, uh, a scene-stealing performance, even though, even though you don't see his face. It's Duke Kaboom and Toy Story. And, of course, there's another Matrix and two more John Wicks on the way. He is brilliant at the moment and I, I, I think I'm kind of glad even though I don't love the John Wick films I'm so glad they came along because I do believe as well if the John Wick films hadn't been as successful if he wasn't having this career renaissance at the moment we wouldn't have had another Bill and Ted Chris Wasser thank you so much for your time Chris we will chat to you again my friend next week thank you and Chris Wasser thank you so much for your time and we will chat to you again next week on We Love Movies We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden Spin now we love movies, it is time for the movie news and each and every week it is brought to you by the one and only Andy McCarroll. Andy, pleasure as always. Andy, we're going to first start with this Madonna biopic or biopic, whichever way you like to call it. She um, has been, she's been, she been trying to get Diablo Cody, who wrote Juno, to write the screenplay. And by all accounts, she's managed to nab her. So Diablo Cody's on board, but it's been announced this week who the director is. Reveal all, Andy. Yeah, Madonna has selected a director that hits all our criteria and she has selected herself to direct the film. Madonna, who we all know has directed such classics as... Um, yeah, no, nothing. <laughs> it, oh, it, I was very excited about this when I heard Diablo Cody getting involved with the writing because I thought this is like Madonna's story is somewhere you could take in a really interesting way. And if you remember, which is 30 years ago now at this point, the In Bed with Madonna uh, kind of semi-biopic uh, documentary. Yes. Like she's not afraid to kind of go all access with that or make herself look, you know, a, a, an egotistical lunatic, which maybe is why she's an egotistical lunatic. The thing with this about her directing herself is what kind of film is it going to be? Is she going to be warts and all is she going to be out there to show this is my story or is everything going to be her version of it the thing i will say about that there's going to be some absolute bangers on the soundtrack now so i'm curious to see are you going to go the kind of the, the rocket man way where they they didn't shy away from you know what a bit of a git elton john was or are they going to go bohemian rhapsody and just completely you know sanitize the whole thing and just make it kind of a, a tv movie of the week looking thing Andy, another story which has been gathering a lot of pace is what went on behind the scenes on Justice League. Uh, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, he's been very vocal about some of the grievances he's experienced behind the scenes. And two of the people he's called out has been um, Jeff Johns, one of the executive producers and a DC stalwart, and also Joss Whedon, who came in and took over from Zack Snyder on directing duties. So he has demanded a full investigation into all of this. He's had a lot to say. 
along with his Aquaman co-star, Jason Momoa. He's been very vocal on things. What's going on there? Yeah, so basically Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, has been at the forefront of this, speaking out about the working conditions, saying that he was bringing up concerns to Joss Whedon and Jeff Johns and was essentially told, shut your that you're fired. What's interesting is he said um, off the back, they launched an independent investigation. He went on Instagram and said, no one has spoken to any of the, you know, the alleged victims in this case. Nobody's spoken to me directly. Nobody has you know, made any progress on this. And the day he released that, they announced Affleck was coming back as Batman the day before, two days before the DC fandom event. He went back on Instagram then and said, they're doing this to distract from the fact that I've posted this. Then Jason Momoa, who plays Aquaman, he jumped in and said, look, what he's saying is true. People need to take this so seriously. And that day they announced that he was playing the voice of Frosty the Snowman in a live action Warner Brothers film. And of course, this being the modern day, he then jumps on Instagram and says, no, I'm not. This this isn't true. Why are you posting this today of all days to, to back away from that? So it seems like something went down on this set. Like it's riled up Ray Fisher and Jason Momoa. Like Ray Fisher has, you know, pretty much put a, a black mark against his name now if anyone looking to hire him you, he, he they are going to be kind of iffy about this if he's speaking out like this yeah. jason momoa i think is a big enough star where people will kind of see past that and think you know the, the benefits of hiring jason momoa are greater than you know him speaking out but i think ray fisher could be and it's sad to say because it is like a very you know brave thing essentially that he's done like he isn't a superstar he isn't someone that if you know he wasn't cast in anything for the next couple of years people would be thinking oh, why isn't ray fisher being cast so yeah. something huge must have happened here i don't think we're getting the full story because you wouldn't take what is a promising career and especially with you know the, the Zack snyder justice league coming out where he plays a much bigger role you know to, he will be in demand after that and but I think people are going to be kind of weary about casting oh is he going to say that he wasn't happy on this is he overreacting to things is he going to throw his toys out of the pram or is you know he's going to be labeled with that you know difficult tag that's so many actresses have had to put up with in the past so I'm curious I still think we've yet to see the kind of the smoke and gum behind the scenes on this so I'm still curious to see what happens there now, Andy, another film that we've uh, been paying a lot of attention to is Scream 5 because each and every week they're adding new members to the cast list and Nev Campbell uh, is the, the latest one that said, look, I'm coming back. I'm not surprised she's coming back because with the greatest respect to Nev Campbell, it's not as if she's been doing a hell of a lot of late. But I am excited for Scream 5 because I do like the series, in particular the first film. I think it's an absolute gem. The fifth film... Of course, for a lot of people, will know that it's not going to be directed by Wes Craven because he sadly passed away. But it is from the directing duo behind Ready or Not. I can't for the life of me think of their name, Andy. Who are the lads involved? Yeah, there are two directors. They kind of go by the, the name Radio Silence now, which is... Oh, yeah. there, there we go. It's potential <laughs> you can get. So, so they're behind it. You know what? I, I am looking forward to Screen 5, Andy. I, I, I do think it might have some promise, even if I think the, the story to it is that Nev Campbell returns back to her original hometown because there's a series of murders, which is pretty much what happened in the fourth film. Like you, I absolutely love this series. Um, I'd come, I've, as has happened three or four times since this, like any new information we get on this, I've posted Nev Campbell's back for Scream 4, new directors for Scream 4, and invariably the comments, it's Scream 5. I have just completely wiped Scream 4 from my memory to the fact I don't remember it exists. I'm very excited about the directors. If you've seen their film Ready or Not, it's basically 
you know, a, an action slasher version of Clue. Um, and I'd like to see the kind of scary fun house thing brought to the Scream franchise, a kind of mix of, you know, a horror version of Knives Out. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really interesting way, way to take it. I like that they have... Obviously, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette are back as well. You've also got uh, Jack Quaid, who uh, plays Huey in The Boys. He's in that as well. I don't think, from the looks of it, that they're trying to set up, you know, oh, here's the new band and the new trequel, which I like. I like that they've said already, like, this is one film on its own. We'll see how we end to put it. They're not determined to kind of set up franchise, as we've seen in the past with Scream 4, especially. That just doesn't work. Just make one good Scream film. And if people like it, Grant, come back. But don't go into it with delusions of grandeur, like all of a sudden you're going to set up this new trilogy now for the Scream franchise, which has been dead in the water for what close to 15 years now. Andy, thank you so much for this week's movie news. Before we let you go, I just want to talk to you about an upcoming event you're chairing because you're a massive MMA fan. For those that don't know, Andy trains in SBG under John Kavanagh. But you are going to be hosting an event with one of the legends of MMA. So tell us a bit more and where people can get tickets. Yeah, March 13th, we're hoping that we are, we're able to get crowds back in. I will be having a discussion with my favorite and for my money, the best MMA fighter of all time, George St. Pierre. It's going to be in the Dublin Convention Center. You can get tickets from www.aneveningwith.ie and I've put www because I'm really old. Yeah, hopefully crowds will be back. I am absolutely living for this. Now, he has been my idol for years so to have him come over to Dublin be able to talk about his you know his career and obviously you know his, his role in the, the upcoming Marvel series as well Andy that sounds like it's going to be an amazing night hopefully fingers crossed all goes according to plan and people get to see George St. Pierre when he arrives over in Dublin at the convention centre early next year Andy McCarroll thank you so much and that is our lot for this week on We Love Movies thank you so much for your company for me Gordon Hayden and the rest of the team here on We Love Movies we'll chat to you again next Sunday from 8 right here on Spin